I have another question for you, Tugan. Are these real girls or are they AI generated? The idea here is that AI is going to take over OnlyFans. I would say OnlyFans is not really personalized. You can find specialized content and content creators on what you like, specifically on what on your like, let's say your kink or your like fetish or whatever. It's true, but still you cannot pretty much you cannot decide what the content is going to be. And people do like personalization. Hello everyone, welcome on our newest episode. This episode is sponsored by BUSD and its future DPEG. Um, actually, we had to delay the record of this episode because we both went to uh, convert some BUSD into USDC and DAI uh, because we have right now a FUD. Uh, I think I think uh, it is, I think Paxos, who is the company behind BUSD, is getting sued in the United States. Have you read about it? I quickly went through it today in some Reddit threads. And <laughs> I mean, it's a very difficult situation to say what's going to happen. But depegging and especially Paxos getting sued is definitely not great news for Web3. Yeah, it's, it's a hard, like, uh, I think because Paxos is regulated in the United States, so there's still some hope or some like decent hope that actually everything, I mean, every BUSD is backed by $1. Um, but, uh, I mean, I don't know, Celsius was regulated in the United States and it didn't turn out to be super, super safe. And, you know, I, I see a few, a few interesting, like one conspiracy theory and one like more like worrying stuff. The conspiracy theory that actually like all the support of FTX and SBF are not going after Binance uh, because, you know, FTX was a champion and, you know, they're like political donor and like, I don't know, like maybe some people say like they're a platform to launder money. Uh, I mean, I have no idea, so I don't want to make any accusations. And so everyone, so a lot of powerful people might be, according to this theory, super angry at Binance and at CZ. Um... And so we, we really have seen like a lot of attack on Binance like lately. I think like ever since FTX crashed, there's, there's been a lot of FUD and attack against Binance. Um, the more worrying part is, you know, if, if BUSD has to liquidate what they have, you know, like everyone is leaving, so they had to like, they have a lot of treasuries and assets and they need to sell all these assets. They will have to sell like, I don't know, 15 billion worth of assets on the market. And this could trigger like some chain reaction, domino effect, and take down like the whole like uh, TradFi, not DeFi, but TradFi. Um, I've, I've read a, a few interesting like articles about it like lately that actually stablecoin are now the biggest risk for traditional finance because you have like 120 billions in stablecoin, and if stablecoins go down and they have to sell everything they have, it might just like bring the whole market down. Have you read about this or? No, I haven't read about these articles, but it reminds me of the notion of too big to fail. Yeah. What do you think about this? That eventually if Binance fails or BUSD fails and it would drag down the whole market, then you have little 2008 <laughs> financial situation where then governments start to bailing out these big companies. You mean like if Binance goes down like in the, like as a crypto company, you think it's too big to fail? I'm not sure if Binance itself is too big to fail, but if you talk about a big domino effect that is going to bring down the whole of, not the whole of Web3, but the whole of Stratify, that would have a significant crazy impact. So yeah. but actually, FTX yeah. failed and it was big, but I don't think it was too big to fail because a lot of the players are still here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what's interesting is that it could actually be a, an issue for traditional finance if a stablecoin fails because they will have to people will like redeem their like usdt or busd at at the tether company or at paxos and then mm -hmm. in order to give them money to give them one dollar for one tether one dollar for one busd they need to sell like assets they have because they have like treasuries and you know i don't know government bonds and stuff like this so they might be forced to just liquidate everything super fast and if someone just arrives in the market and liquidate like, I don't know, 50 billions worth of treasury mm -hmm. can do some damage. By the way, like, you know, stablecoins is one of the most profitable business ever because people are giving you like, you know, like you mint one, I don't know, tether 
and um, you get like one dollar and with this one dollar you buy like government bond right so you have you maintain this like parity uh, or let's say they do it which is not sure but let's say they do it but in the meantime the government bond is giving you like interest so you get paid yeah so it's like it's like having your own like stablecoin can really print billions a year i noticed also this like recently by going through like a lot of documentations yeah yeah i mean it would work if FTX wouldn't have fu- and Luna wouldn't have fucked up the image of stablecoins. <laughs> you greedy motherfuckers! You ruined this for us all. <laughs> regarding stablecoins, it's quite there is also like a theory that it is actually in the interest of the United States because it is in the interest of the United States that if we were everyone around the world used dollar, right, and works in dollar de- denominated assets, and stablecoins are in dollar. I mean, you have maybe something in euro or Swiss franc, but like no one is using it. Um, so by having everyone using stablecoin in dollars is forcing all these people to put somehow indirectly their money into the US economy. Because you know, for, for one tether, you have one dollar somewhere like in US treasuries. So it is a way, because before they had like the oil, you know, if you want to trade, buy, sell, whatever oil, you need to use dollars. So you have this petrol dollar. And now you could have like this kind of I know, tether dollar, I mean, and everyone has to use dollar and dollar stays the world currency, not Bitcoin, dollar, through stablecoins. And the whole developing world would use stablecoins denominated in dollar, so which will bring like money to the US and it will like strengthen the American currency. Mm-hmm. So they might, it might be interesting for the US to like, to maintain and push and to, you know, help, um, US stable, like US dollar stablecoin, like to, to thrive. So what know. do you think about uh, Circle, the company behind USDC? The company that got funding from BlackRock, the same one. Mm. Um, I, I'm just waiting for the moment where they are going to introduce like forced KYC for all wallets over like, I don't know, 50,000. Mm-hmm. Surprise could come super fast. Yeah. You mentioned something that KYC was issued for BUSD to, today morning as well. Is that right? No, 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 no. BUSD, there is no KYC. Like, but, you know, I think I'm not 100% sure that in the USDC contract, there is a way to like block wallets and addresses and funds. Yeah. And then you can say, hey, we're going to block you. And then you need to do some KYC on the circle website to say who you are, where the money is coming from, blah, blah, blah. And then you can re- resume like... Uh, moving your assets and uh, this is definitely something that has been discussed like now for more than a year and it's going to come somehow because the US they want their money to be everywhere in the world but they also want to control the flow of like value and money so mm-hmm. how is that for BUSD do you know BUSD would be the same because it's regulated in the United States I think mm-hmm. not 100% sure actually if Paxos is in the United States but I think it is yeah, let's see. I mean, we're we're online now for one hour in this podcast. Let's see what happens afterwards. To go from BUSD and USD and trash for news to a mind game that Tugan and I are going to play today. So the question is, can you build a startup totally from scratch with AI? So the tools that we're going to use is Galileo.ai for wireframe, ChatGPT for copywriting and GitHub, GitHub Copilot for programming. And later on, if you have some bugs, you can use Unreal Engine or ChatGPT to debug the code that GitHub Copilot or ChatGPT wrote for you. So, for example, if you head over to Galileo.ai and you type in, write me a landing page for a mobile app for a dog or a pet care program, or give me a landing page for a Web3 crypto wallet startup, or give me an account information page for this vintage clothing marketplace that I'm building. Ta-da! Within 10 seconds, you get one and you can import it even in Figma. So from there in Figma, you can then feed it together with GitHub Copilot and ChatGPT and put it into code. So the question to them, first of all, what do you think this is going to do to the value of or the costs of creating a startup or how many startups are in the market? Hmm. 
I don't know if you know these statistics from Y Combinator. It's quite an old one. I don't exactly remember the, the numbers, but it was like in '95, uh, it would cost you half a million, like five hundred thousand dollars, to start a startup. Uh, by 2005, it was 50k. Yeah, you know, Facebook was started with between 50k, like if you want to remember it, like pretty much. And by 2015, uh, it was uh, 5k. And everything's possible because you have you know, cloud computing, open source stuff that are bringing costs down. And obviously, it's going like AI is taking costs even more down because um, when Y Combinator says, hey, you just need 5k to start a startup, and once again, it's like almost 10 years ago. So, you know, right now it would be maybe 1,000 or 500. Um, they just forget one thing that, yes, you can start a startup for 5k or a technological startup with 5k if you're programming everything yourself. So if you don't have to pay yourself because you're programming, you're not a hiring programmer because for 5K, you want to hire like anyone like, to do anything like, or just something super small. Um, so yeah, it's going to like, to contribute to this like hyper like deflation of like cost or barriers to entry to start a tech company. Um, so yeah, definitely it's going to like increase the competition, reduce the barrier to entry. And I think it's going to be so fucking hard. Because, like, you know, with AliExpress and dropshipping, everything related to, like, hey, I'm going to create a good product, a good brand, whatever, mm-hmm. anyone can copy it overnight. Super hard to maintain a competitive advantage, almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And you, you were like, okay, so, but, you know, if I do a tech, like a real thing, it's much harder for, for anyone to enter the market and just, like, copy and paste and steal my customers. But maybe not anymore. So mm-hmm. that's more my my point. So it's going to dramatically increase competition because barriers to entry are just much lower. That means that any sort of SaaS or business enterprise SaaS is going to reduce in value. So mm. one one game theory, if you can call it game theory, I want to play through, is that imagine you right now have a fitness app. Right? Maybe you're an online coach in fitness space mm. and you have a fitness app that is a bit of an upsell that is $49 per month with training videos and landing pages and all the fancy schmancy stuff. And a new person could come around and instead of, because it cost you maybe 50 to 100K to build that app, to pay the developers, to make the designs. But right now I can just wake up, build the whole thing in one week and only use... 500 to 1,000 bucks to build the whole thing from scratch. So because I saved 99,000 US dollars, I can use all this money to advertise, to attract people, to use paid advertising, SEO, whatever I'm going to use to get more people. And because my initial costs are just much lower, instead of charging 49.99, I can charge 19 or 9.99 or even 99 cents. So yeah. it's going to completely disrupt and it's a, it's a margin battle, right? Because if I have no costs and you have all the costs, I can just charge 10% or half of what you're charging. And I'm going to go to your customer and say, hey, guys, you know, I kind of have the same thing of what you guys are using, but it's just much cheaper. You guys want to join? And I believe a, an average consumer that is not super committed to the personal brand, to the, what this person has been building is like, why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think it's like this kind of revolution are super good for consumer mm-hmm. uh, because obviously, you know, they can have more choice, more variety at a better price. Um, it's obviously not necessarily good for uh, incumbent players mm-hmm. like on the supply side. Um, I think it's, that that's a fascinating part. It's like it's super hard to guess the dynamic and how and like the economic structure of tomorrow, which is like open AI thing. Mm-hmm. Or it's like uh GPT and like or this API. Um yeah. so maybe, maybe like just creating a SaaS would be some concept that is that's going to be obsolete. And if you need something so in your example you're like, hey, you're creating an app. Where you're, uh, you have like you know videos and like programs and steps and like I don't know gamification, let's say, and you sell it, 
to lose weight and to do sport. But you know, maybe in the future you won't even install an app for this. You will have this kind of like multi-purpose technology that will say, hey, multi-purpose technology, design for me today or for this week. I, you know, you know, meal menu and uh, training exercise, planning. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I want this in a cute interface. And I want to have some songs that I like. And please, you know, you have all my, you know, like uh, my health data already saved on the, on, the, on the phone. So work with this mm -hmm. to just like design something for me. And um, in the meantime, I want you to um, remind me all the important tasks I have to do today while I'm training. Mm -hmm. Just do it. And then, you know, mm -hmm. like load for like, I don't know, 30 seconds. And then you have everything. So you, you don't install an app. You have an app that is doing everything. And then you're like, okay, you know, I want to have a better calendar experience. So just like plug on my Google calendar and just like do things differently. So I like it, how, you know, whatever. And mm. we might go to this actually, because if everyone can just like copy and paste and copy and paste and copy and paste and like do the same product, maybe the, we need to go to the next step, right? So you, when you have like this multi-purpose technology and you just ask it to to do it and chat GPT is already this you can ask like for okay give me some like training exercise like recommendation you know uh, give me some like you know, um, you know food um, recommendation for the week what should I eat where uh, and just like you know make uh, adapt the food with the exercise and take into account my sleep and it can already do something that is super like precise then you can add okay no make some like videos of, uh, of exercise so there is like a fake teacher and I want please the teacher to be sexy so I want the teacher to look like you know whatever like influencer or celebrity just do some mm. deep fake it's fine you know <laughs> and uh, and if the teacher can be naked while he's teaching me and then uh, violation of like the policy but no okay so this you don't do um, uh, so maybe it's going to I don't know what would be the analogy, but I think if you if you look back of what the the phone or the iPhone did, yeah. seriously, it was incredibly hard to, for example, take pictures. So everybody that was taking pictures was sort of in a more professional environment. Either you had to get a camera that was 10k, or you were just a guy sitting in a room, and all the people in your village came to you and you took pictures of them, and the phone on your iPhone was then connected to social media and Instagram. And now everybody was just able to create content, was able yeah. to create pictures for their own enjoyment. And instead of me saying, okay, I'm just going to take pictures because I'm going to make money with it, which you can say, okay, I'm going to create a SaaS so I can make money with it. I'm going to create product content SaaS just because I enjoy doing it so much and just because it's fun and just because it's great. And if I'm really good at it, Eventually, it's going to blow off anyhow because I can share it with my friends. I can show it off. It's good. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's an analogy that you can use because entry barriers are just so low. People are just going to start using it for themselves. Yeah. And if you can create your own app or your own spreadsheet formulas just by speech or text input, that's going to result in a lot of more market efficiency which is going in a capitalistic society is going to be very good for everybody involved. So even if startups are screaming, ah, we're all going to get screwed, like SaaS enterprise is dead, eventually it's going to result in more prosperity for the whole of society. Well, I mean, it really depends because, you know, let's say, you know, all these startups, bro and startups developer, no, they're like unemployed, most of them. You mm -hmm. have like, I don't know, 90% of them are losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, VCs are going bankrupt. All these people used to, you know, go to bars, restaurants, movie theaters, spend money. So they're not doing it anymore. So all, these, all the employees of movie theaters, bar, restaurant, uh, you know, have less tip, or some of them get fired because there is not enough demand, and you know, so it's not that great. So now you have like all these more people like joining like the unemployment and having their like um, financial resources. And they see their financial resources going down, so they also consume less. And then you have this stonewall spiral. So mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's very like anti-tech and negative view. Um, mm -hmm. But so... I don't know. No, I'm not 100% I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, but it's true that the, 
behaviors will change. Mm -hmm. uh, consumer behavior will change. How value is created will change. I mean, you know, with, with Web 2, um, mm -hmm. and Web 2 was really mostly like pumped by also mobile adoption. Um, how do you create and capture value changed? You know, this whole thing, okay, so people are going on their own to put their pictures and their data for free on the website and you monetize it and you keep all the money for yourself. You know, if you were in Web 1 or before, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And suddenly it happened, it happened to be the most profitable business model ever while it lasted. So, yeah, I don't know. But it's definitely going to be fascinating. Yeah. I think the idea of waking up and building your own startup just from an idea that you have in your mind is fascinating. So cool. Right? Yeah. Galileo.ai, build some, build some landing pages, build some wireframes, put it in Figma. Maybe if you're lucky, you can do some Figma yourself. Then you feed it into GitHub Copilot that kind of builds the whole thing or the, the MVP. And then you can raise money much faster. So I think overall, very interesting development. Yeah, but would a, would a VC like, you know, right, like invest in your company? Is there like no barrier to entry and anyone can do it like, you know, in half an hour? What was the competitive advantage? Yeah, so if I would look at then the market segmentation of what this does to whole the startups as a whole. Mm -hmm. So for example, right now, nobody is pursuing, let's say, dentist, calendar, SaaS, or... No, some people are doing it. Feeding SaaS, or it's just not interesting, or it's too, it's too expensive to build. Nobody's pursuing it, but dentists would probably still use an application like this. So no, I no, think this, it makes this makes market much already addressed. You have like mm -hmm. software for like dentists. Dentists are super, uh, super like bankable like customers. A lot of money, a lot of like you know like flow of like revenues and expenses. You can easily mm -hmm. sell like some. Some expensive mm -hmm. calendar tech to them. I'm hundred yeah. percent sure some companies are just like making millions in this. Yeah, I heard about a SEO for dentists too. But it's just a just an analogy of going after a very narrow niche mm -hmm. that otherwise you wouldn't be able to pursue because the costs of starting your startup and hiring oh, people okay. and doing all that stuff yeah, would be yeah, too yeah, high. And maybe you can you're able to extract so much value just from that small niche by being really good because your idea is great, then you're still able to make money and maybe give your VCs like a solid 20, 40, 100,000 X. Yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Small mind game. To go from startups and Galileo AI, let's talk about some a battle of two Goliaths that is happening right now, and that is Google versus Microsoft. So the Google CEO, Satya Nadella, is looking ready to roll. Maybe, Lemina, you can put a picture here of Satya Nadella looking like Jeff Bezos. So after investing $10 billion in ChatGPT and buying GitHub in 2018, the strategy of Microsoft and Bing is starting to roll out. And together with this, Google, a couple of days ago, demonstrated its new AI chat tool, BART. And it's, let's say the demo itself wasn't quite successful. It had a question about... Um, let me see here. Show the user asking Bard about a new discovery from the James Webb Space Telescope. And Bard responded with a bullet point claiming that GWST took the first picture on the planet outside of our solar system, which was incorrect. So did this blunder and the overall not the audience not being too impressed by the demonstration of Bard resulted in a 7.7% drop in alphabet shares and wiping off $100 billion of its market value. So Google and Microsoft, Satya Nadella versus Balmer, who is going to own the future of search? And what do you think, Tugan, about these developments right now? I read a tweet, I think, from Scott Galloway, who is, a, I think, a marketing teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, like, suddenly everyone noticed that Google, I don't have the exact tweet, but it's, it was like, we'll find it to put it on the screen, but it was like, hey, everyone can just notice that actually no one is doing anything at Google and this company has been poorly managed for 10 years. Everyone like, is putting into work there. 
For me, it reminds me like you had a very heated like argument between Peter Thiel, the investor, and Eric Schmidt, who used to be the CEO of Google like for maybe 10 years at the beginning of the company. And, uh, and Peter Thiel was saying to Eric Schmidt, um, Google has no idea what to do. I mean, they have money, they have zero idea what to do with the money. Uh, they should just like give it back to the like investors instead of just like keeping it and do nothing with it. And the reality is like Google is clueless. They don't believe in the future. They don't have any real project. And all this like moonshot project from Google is just like the propaganda service of Google pretending that they're inventing the future when actually they're just like harvesting data and monetizing it. And it was super harsh. And today, like, and the argument is maybe 10 years old or something like this. And 10 years later, yeah, it looked like this. I mean, they have more data than anyone. They have more money than anyone. Everyone know AI is the future. What have they done? And, you know, OpenAI with a 1 billion funding, which is, okay, granted, it's still a lot, managed to create a much better, much more like compelling product than Google with unlimited resources, completely overpaid people, super heavy, like, you know, management structure. Yeah. So, doesn't, like in the very short term, it doesn't look good for Google. Um, regarding the search, I don't know. I think you you found some numbers about how much it costs to search, what are the CPCs and average. Maybe this can tell us more about, you know, the options. So, this is from, I am sourcing this from the All In podcast. And what they said is that a cost per click right now on Google, depending on your targeting, is around $5. And you can assume that the operating cents, cost... Sorry again? Is it $0.05 cent or $5? Five $0.05. Five cent. Five cents, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> $0.05. Cents. So if you, if you estimate that the operating cost for this is around 50%, 50, 50 then you have $0.05 cents profit for Google on that click. And... Also, if it's 50%, it's 2.5 cent operating costs. If you compare that, however, with the server costs that are needed for ChatGPT to run a query, it's 30 cents. So the model of running ChatGPT is just by a magnitude higher. And everybody is going to say, okay, case closed. Google is going to win just because it's much cheaper with the model that it's using. So instead of an LLM, a large language training model, it's using a web scraping model. It's going to win. But... It's again, this is from Chamath, is that the, the cost of computing and the cost of energy is going to dramatically reduce itself in the, in the next 10 years. I'm not an expert on this, and I don't really know the specifics on how and if this is going to play out, so somebody else has to, has to answer this. But right now, Google has a large, large advantage in terms of costs. So if ChatGPT would like to compete with Google just on the amount of search queries that users make, they would spend $20 billion per quarter just to do that. And that's a lot okay. of money. Okay. Well, it, it's indeed interesting to see it like dynamically over time, how the cost structure will evolve. Also, OpenAI has now the um, partnership with Microsoft Azure, maybe it can enable like some scaling in, in the queries and reducing the cost per unit. Um, and if maybe, um, you know, ChatGPT is introduced on, on Bing, let's say you can attract more people on Bing who will also do like normal, like queries on the normal Bing search mm -hmm. where like Microsoft is profitable. So you can also increase profitability here, mm -hmm. increase market shares. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you can like somehow like, you know, take part of the, um, of the, like support part of the cost, maybe. Yeah. I think one, one part of the question is also what is the best user experience? And for example, if you, if you're looking for a flight that goes from Munich to Barcelona and you type it into ChatGPT, you're mm -hmm. going to get one answer, but that's not the perfect outcome for you. If you're looking for a flight, you want to compare things. It would be nice to maybe have it in form of a matrix or you want to look at things, you want to compare stuff. So I think there's also one thing that ChatGPT um, is promising to do that is going to give you the ability to click on links. And there's also one competitor that recently came up from a 
from an ex-Googler that gives quotations and direct links to the publisher of the content. And yeah. we're going to talk about privacy a bit later, but yeah. the idea of ChatGPT, it's a, it's a language training model, right? It's a partner. You have a question, you answer it and you, you get an, you get a response or, and for some questions, that's good for some questions, it's less good. So if you look at how Google evolved its search, you know, five years ago, you typed in what is the capital of Germany and you had a bunch of websites that gave you, okay, this is Germany. This is the capital of Germany. You had to click it. You got the answer. Now, if you do it, you on top of the page, you get a small box that says the capital of Germany is Berlin and that's it. And you move on, which is very similar to, I would say a chat GPT interface. So I think the, one of the big questions here is too, like, what does the user want? What is the best user experience? And what is the answer on the question that you want to have? And whoever is going to figure that out best, um, I think it's going to get the most users too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, one thing I want to mention here on top of what we said so far is that Google has been in the AI game since a very long time. And Google has been one of the pioneers. So if you remember DeepMind, the yeah. company that that built the the computer or AI mind that built the the model that beat Leo Sedong, the best Go player, is a really interesting documentary. So DeepMind was the powerhouse in artificial intelligence for Google. Or they also use it for YouTube videos and when to put ads and who likes YouTube videos and when they click away. And email writing, you remember when you're on Gmail and you say, okay, here, dear, blah, 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 it fills it out automatically. Yeah. So Google has been in the AI game for a long time, but simply not as fast as maybe ChatGPT or ChatGPT is generating so much hype. From my side, I don't think that Google has to be really scared in whatever the next six months, one year on Bin taking over just because of the computing cost. However, it is in terms of their own business model to say, okay, we have so much money and we rule so much of the data that is floating around. What can we do to innovate on our own business model and yeah, keep crushing it. Yeah. And actually like we're getting the cost structure and I think this could be a perfect transition to the next point. Now, the cost structure right now on ChatGPT is just like the computing power. It is not taking into account uh, the IP, the intellectual property that they're using and for which they're not paying anything and they might get some lawsuits. Um, that's one of the people we need to discuss today is more and more like people who created like content, resources, books are like, hey, you are actually stealing from me. You actually like you know you know it's like um, you know I, I was watching over the weekend like the the, the Netflix uh, like a mini mini like a series about like Spotify it's called the playlist super good stuff by the way and um, in the beginning of the story is actually you know just the Pirate Bay being here and just like you know ripping off all the artists and and um, producers and, and everyone involved in, this, in the music industry. Mm. And uh, it looks a little bit like the same, like, you know, they're just like, you know, going there, harvesting the data, just taking everything and not paying anything, reusing part of it. I mean, for now, they're not, gener they're not generating like profits, but um, maybe they might have to compromise and to pay. And if they have to pay, then it's going to be super hard to like to find a good business model like Spotify to this day has still like you no know, difficulties to be really profitable because they need to pay like, you know, Universal, Sony, and then artists and everyone, plus their costs, their staff, everything. So yeah. to give some background on this, what is happening right now in the privacy space is that a group of developers is doing a class act lawsuit against ChatGPT because they claim that ChatGPT used billions of lines of code that was written by developers and sort of like trained their model on it, mm. stoling it without ever paying any sort of royalties to the people that 
initially wrote these lines of contract. And that is the same thing what is happening right now with Getty Images that is doing Stability AI's Stable Diffusion for, I think, $100 million because Stable Diffusion trained <laughs> their, um, their image generation model on Getty Images. And maybe we can show some images or some examples of where you get results with the Getty <laughs> Images line in there. So... Right now, creators and publishers are more like, guys, how are we going to get paid? And how YouTube and Google solved that is by YouTube, back in the days, the biggest problem that it had was copyright problems. Yeah. And the, the only way that it survived was by teaming up or selling to Google. And Google said, hey, guys, you know what we're going to do is we're going to give away a majority of the money that we make back to the creators and we're going to give the ability for creators to claim copyright issues. And that's the main big reason that YouTube survived. So I would be very interested, and I'm not an expert on this, on how publishers are going to claim or developers or artists are going to start suing against these big companies. Because you could say, um, for example, in the music industry or for Spotify, these are big organizations. You yeah. don't have... 150 million artists but you do have millions of blog people blog writers or millions of people that are tweeting millions of people that are writing answers on quora and i don't really see these people uniting and say hey guys we're gonna collect some signatures you know <laughs> so we can start you in google so we can get paid for the answers that we made and Google has a very big advantage here is because it said, you know, like we did, we kind of did what we were supposed to do. We're paying creators on YouTube and we are allowing people to claim their copyright and their IP back. Yeah, not an easy topic. Um, actually, one, one interesting solution, again, might be through blockchain. You know, if you publish it and somehow you sign it with your wallet, then we know that if this series of character and letters and code hasn't been like already published by someone, then it's go then you're going to be considered as being the author of it, and uh, then you can you could have like this micro transaction or, or this transparency through the blockchain. Of course, you would need a blockchain that is super scalable and with like yeah. almost non-existing gas fees. Um, but it's quite interesting that a lot of problems created by um, by AI could be solved. With the blockchain, and it's quite fascinating that the both technologies are, you know, going mainstream at the same time. Um, because like blockchain is super good, like to, you know, to to transfer informations, create uh, transparency, um, mm -hmm. make micro payments without any expensive or long, slow like third party. So, but that, this is like a huge step, like. Because how do you prove that you were like the author? Because when you write a blog post, you get the idea from somewhere else most of the time. You know, most of the like blog posts are just like stuff inspired of other blog posts. So it has been inspired from other blog posts. So should they give money to the other blog post? Mm -hmm. um, you know, where do you start? Like because everything that has been produced has been inspired by other stuff that has been mm -hmm. produced before, and without any. Yeah compensation let's say mm. uh so why should like open ai like compensate people who pretty much i mean why should open ai compensate people for getting inspired from the work of people that got inspired from the work of other people without compensating like the person at the end of the chain that, that might be actually mm. dead because you know we are been we have been stealing from each other for like you know millennials now so yeah i don't know not, not a super, super technical concept, I guess. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So maybe ChatGPT has to pay back reparation fees for thousands of years <laughs> people inventing stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, the outcome... It's really how I would do it. Like, and for text, it's quite straightforward. For pictures, it's more like... For pictures, you know, you take a picture of someone, you send a contract, you have the right to use, to resell this the writer in pictures, etc. For pictures, it might be easier, but for text, you know, if someone is like, let's say, let's say, open AI and some bloggers and writers are like, hey, you got, 
you to train your model with my books and my blog post. I'm like, yeah, sure, but you make money with your book and blog post, yeah. Because the guy, if you want to sue, he has to demonstrate that this has value and that he lost value because it has been, like they say, stolen from him, right? Um, so he has to demonstrate he made money with it. And then you can just say, hey, but your blog looks post is very similar to this, this, and this content that has been published a few years before. Your book has the style of this author, this kind of storytelling that has been used by Hollywood for like, you know, since the 20s. Uh, mm. Did you plan to compensate them for this or, you know, how, how is it going to work? And yeah. I think you're in front of a, you know, with a, in front of a jury with arguments like this. I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm not a lawyer or, any, or anything, but you could really challenge the claim and the validity of the claim because they built, you know, they were not on the shoulder of someone else when they built what they built. I do think like the why Google again wins here is that, for example, if somebody or if ChatGPT would like to use all the data that is on Reddit or that is on Quora, Reddit or Quora would need to allow them to use that kind of data because like the core business model of them or why they're so strong is because they have a lot of fucking data. And what Google does is they say, hey, guys, you can use our ad network and use our ad placements, and you're going to make a lot of, lot of money just by being a part of you, Google and being able for Google to use your information. And whatever, if Reddit decides to put an ad placement there or a banner or something, they benefit a lot. And ad or Google splits the ad revenue with them. And so it's very, it's a high incentive for the publisher to work together with Google. And Google just wins in terms of any other ad network is because they say, hey, you know, we'll pay you two, three, four X, 10 X more than anybody else. And True. like the currency here is really information to train your models and to information that is accessible for ChatGPT or for Bing. The decision here is only how is the future gonna look like Will then Reddit or Quora, is there going to be a closed ecosystem where people need to pay to access it or where these companies decide then to say, okay, you know, you can just have it for free and we use the ad placements or we're going to sell our data so you can get better models, better answers and a better user experience to you. Hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I, have a, I have a nice transition here from this topic to something that I found just scrolling through stuff and that is Kroggle. <laughs> that is welcome to Kroggle search engine web three cryptocurrency. <laughs> A comprehensive search engine covering entire cryptocurrency and blockchain activities. So um a search to earn how amazing. I'm not sure if this is only that you can sign in and then you can look through everything that is happening on the blockchain and you're going to get an answer. But yeah, you have 5% buy and sell tax on the Crocktoin that you're going to do. Buy and sell tax sounds like a, sounds like a Ponzi. <laughs> Monitor and analyze key performance indicators to measure the success of the search engine. I think it's the same as Google is doing, right? <laughs> I mean, it looks like, hey, we, we have this kind of search to earn. What the fuck? <laughs> is this next video is going to be Microsoft versus Kroggle? <laughs> uh, the name. name sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the logo. Uh, yeah. Anyhow. I, I, okay. I, I, I have I, something. I have something really interesting for you. Um, to gun, and I think this is something that we've been talking about for a long time. Web three marketing reimagined, target mm -hmm. the best users across blockchains and social media to boost growth. So how this works is that you can match crypto wallets to Twitter accounts, and based mm. on that, mm. you have a lot of data that you can use to whatever target them. And yeah, correct it. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think they managed to identify, like, I think it's not like you know, 70 million people through like Twitter or, or a figure like this. Mm -hmm. I think 
What, is, um, what did you just say? I, I said that uh, I think this company, I'm not sure if it's this one, they managed to like link 70 million yep. like, Twitter accounts with their wallets mm -hmm. to know, okay, this guy is this wallet by just by crossing data. By the way, another people who are not paying for the raw material and who are just like uh, scrapping some data. Um, I, th I think it's good. I think it's good. Cool. You think it's from a marketing perspective, it's something useful to have? I think like adding a layer of data points related to wallets, what they hold, what they're investing in is definitely interesting. Um, the big issue is quite often people have multiple wallets. I mean, I have maybe like, I don't know, 30 MetaMask wallets. Most of them, I'm just never using them. But, you know, if I'm like entering into a new project, I'm not necessarily going to use like a project, uh, like a wallet with which I invested massively in a previous project because, you know, I don't want people to like track me as a whale, I don't know, and then to FOMO to the next token I'm investing in. Um, so definitely interesting to add a layer of like Web3, like metrics for like better targeting. Sure. Makes cool. sense. Cool. So I have, a, I have another question for you too, Gun. Mm -hmm. Are these real girls or are they AI generated? I mean, if you ask the question, it's probably AI. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the idea here is that AI is going to take over OnlyFans. I mean, we talked about deep news in the past. Super interesting. What do you think of this? Is this going to be the next, the next where we talked about agency model is the next drop shipping? Is AI OnlyFans agency going to be the next big thing? <laughs> it's hard to know. Um, I think the answer is yes, but it depends on the time horizon. It's more like this. Um, because OnlyFans, let's say it's relatively expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, like you pay what? I don't know. Like on I don't know on average how much is a subscription. Let's say it's 10 bucks. But for 10 bucks, you can have like Netflix or Spotify or like Apple Music. So, you know, it's quite a lot that you get in content for 10 bucks versus like, you know, a few nudes every week. I don't know. Um, and private message written by someone in, I don't know, whatever country. Um, also, like, I would say OnlyFans is not really personalized. I guess um, you can find um, specialized content and content creators on what you like, specifically on what, on your, like, let's say your kink or your, like, fetish or whatever. It's true, but still you cannot pretty much, you cannot decide what the content is going to be. Um, and with AI, you could have this ultra personalization of content and people do like ultra personalization and the girl obviously cannot do ultra personalization or she can do it, but at a high cost, you know, I, I, I don't know the price range, but I think you have this feature in, uh, on OEF, uh, where you can like order like some, or book some, like some custom made content, I think. You have this stuff, and uh, but it's quite expensive. It's like you know, uh, uh, tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars. Um, if you want to have something personalized, so it's quite interesting. I, I think like the personalization feature is something that a girl organically on OnlyFans cannot compete with, mm -hmm. and she's quite photoshopped anyway, or like she's using filters. So there is also a part of like artificiality or, you know, of artificial intelligence involved. So I don't know. <laughs> also, also, I mean, I mean, an interesting stuff is, um, with OnlyFans, you can always have the accusation of, you know, prostitution of you know, taking advantage of humans, mm -hmm. of, you know, ruining someone's life, because obviously the girl um, 
or the guy who is creating content, um, you know, he can suffer a lot of consequences and, you know, a lot of people might like judge them, insult them, threat them, dox them. Um, so, you know, you have all this risk associated and, you know, if it's just a computer, you don't have all this violence or these risks. Um, it's cheaper, of course. Um, but fuck, the world is really getting weird. Yeah, we're gonna finish it off with something that is a bit more, a bit more optimistic, a bit brighter. Mm -hmm. uh, a game that we both know, and it's so rare. Mm -hmm. Premier League now is on, so rare. So what this is is a football collection card for football. Sorry, NBA and MLB is a French company. Very attractive valuation, and why this is so interesting in my opinion, is that it's a very smooth onboarding process to Web3. So the players don't know that their cards are an NFT, but they are smoothly introduced to having a wallet, to owning NFTs, while still having a lot of fun, cool gaming experience, and also being able to make some money, I think. What do you what do you think about so rare, Tugan? Yeah, I never used it, but as you said, um, I mean, I will double down on what you said, is that there are bringing the benefit of Web3 without all the hassle of Web3. You don't need to install Metamask to send money from Binance or Coinbase to Metamask and then to change the Metamask to have it on a different chain and then to connect the Metamask, not being sure if it's a, if it's a real website or it's something that's going to like empty your wallet. And it's true that they are giving you like the benefit uh, all the benefits, are, are, or a lot of benefits of Web3 without having like all the problems related to Web3, without having all the hassle. So, super nice and boring into Web3. And I think this is like how Web3 will go mainstream, like through like interface and products that yeah. don't require like wallets and complicated like apps, uh, extensions, whatever. And mm. um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely bullish on this. And I think it will give a lot of ideas to people creating tools super cool yeah that was it for today great let's check and head over if busd is still alive and i think we talked about a lot of stuff of finance we talked about google we talked about microsoft we talked about the future of search a lot of things happening right now really interesting um, especially in terms of ai a lot of possibilities to to learn to produce cool products so a great time to to be alive any closing statements from you Tugan? yeah good luck <laughs> <laughs> good luck guys